0: What uh, what uh, Romans chapter fourteen the scripture that we're going to uh, just give you a little background the apostle Paul is writing here to the church at Rome and he's the same problem that came up in the church of Rome came up with the Ephesians came up with the Galatians came up with every church that, that the apostle Paul started in the in the Gentile world in the world outside of Israel and this continued to come. Because, you know, when, when people would get, start getting saved, the, the Gentile believers come into the church and they begin to find out the gospel of Jesus Christ and they'd give their life to God. They, that's what was the focus of the Apostle Paul's ministry. He was called the Apostle to the Gentiles, even though he was a Jewish man. But inherently, there were Jews as well, the Jewish, uh, people of that community, would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they would give their life to God too. So they would all come to church service together. But there was a dynamic between the Jews and the Gentiles during that day is they didn't really like one another. Just from the culture. The The Jewish believers uh, believed that they were God's chosen people, which they were. But the Gentile believers were also being taught that they were God's chosen people as well. And so it wasn't about it wasn't a matter of nationality that caused it's not a matter of nationality that that God causes you to be his child are you with me it's not about nationality but back then they really felt like it was cuz the jewish people had had that uh that thing about them and so what began to happen in the church during that time is that the the Jewish believers were very judgmental of the Gentile believers. Especially for the Roman uh, church, it was uh, especially centered around food. That the Gentiles ate bacon, ate ham. You know, the Gentiles didn't have a kosher law to go by of what to eat. So they just ate anything. They blessed it and ate it. But the, so, the Jewish people who did um, mind the kosher laws of the word, they would look down their nose on the Gentile believers and and really begin to think that they were the ones weak in faith because they haven't come into the knowledge that I've come into that that was their deal but then, on the other side of the coin, there were the Gentile believers that that felt like. That they begin to look down their nose at the Jewish believers because they were so rigid that they didn't, you know, toward the law of God or toward the, law, toward the law of Moses, they were so rigid about it that they, they were considered weak in the faith by the Gentile believers. So as, you know, they're, they're going back and forth and there's just division among the church because of who was they considered, each one considered weak in the faith. Can I tell you something? Two of you, I can tell two of you. (laughs) Get up here and preach this. The, uh, the, the, I lost my whole train of thought. That was good. Um, yeah, I just went off the, Deep in. <laughs> the apostle Paul was confronting both, both individual groups. And we can do the same thing. We can be that same way in the church today. God can bring a conviction on us and, and we were convicted to do this or that as individuals and then try to put that same conviction upon other people that we consider weak in the faith. But they have things that God is convicting them of that we're not doing the same thing that they are. And we can be considered weak in the faith. So this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. This is what he's confronting in the church of Rome. And here in in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says this, and I love this verse. There's so much depth to it. It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, the kingdom of God is not about what's being served on the dinner table. You can't look at what's being served on the dinner table, what somebody's eating, what somebody else is not eating. You cannot put the kingdom of God there in that place. You hear me? So what is the kingdom of God? I like what one man said years ago and it stuck with me. He said, the kingdom of God, when you see that phrase in the Bible, the kingdom of God, it means God's way of doing things. It's his judicial rule in his kingdom. The kingdom of God is about the judicial rule of his kingdom. And the judicial rule is not expressed in judgment and criticism. It's expressed in love. You cannot operate in the kingdom of God without love. Love is principle. Love is the thing that rules everything in the kingdom. When we get to heaven, that is the, that is the culture, that is the society of the operation of God's kingdom. It's about love. That's why the Bible says your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about just we get healing from heaven, we get deliverance from heaven, we get correction from heaven. No, it's about love and love brings that healing, love brings that correction, love brings that change to our lives because love is the overall everything in the kingdom of God. It's God's way of doing things is love so that righteousness, peace and joy cannot be accomplished without love. We can't be righteous. We can't be made right without love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's where righteousness comes from. Amen? Peace. You can't have peace without love. You cannot have joy without love. Amen? Sounds easy, right? But the biggest disruption, interruption, delay in love is found in our abundance or lack of forgiveness. You cannot you cannot attain God's fullness of love if you've got unforgiveness in your life. Some of you all came to church today and you went, man, I can't wait to get to church and you didn't have any idea that I was going to mess with you on forgiveness. (laughs) See, the love of God in us rises or falls on our willingness to forgive or not forgive. Did you hear me? The love of God in us rises or falls on our willingness to forgive or not forgive. So it seems like everywhere I go, Everywhere I go I see people. I encounter people. I come alongside people. I hear people and what they're saying out of their mouth. <clears throat> and it all comes back to forgiveness. Everywhere it seems like everywhere that I go the gravity of forgiveness is present. And and it's hard because I have to be very, very careful not to become judgmental when I hear their unforgiveness. Because I'm still dealing with it myself. (laughs) When I read the New Testament, see the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And they're not just books that he's writing, they're letters to the churches that he's writing to. And every one of them, he starts out, grace and peace be unto you. Every time he's addressing the church, grace and peace be unto you. But the letters that he addresses the preachers, be First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, he is addressing the preachers, the communicators, the, the the ones like myself that get up there. And you know how he addresses them: grace, peace, and mercy. Because, see, I preach these things. You know, your your spiritual leaders preach these things from the front, and we've got to have grace and peace, but we've also got to have mercy. Because what we're preaching, we haven't attained fullness yet. And as I, as I reveal this to you, as I talk to you about forgiveness today, there's still some areas in my life. I haven't, I haven't come to the fullness of it, but there's areas in my life and I need the mercy of God while I preach to you today. Amen. Amen. I need that mercy. So as I see people struggle with, with unforgiveness, um, I I come to the the conclusion that our want and need for, for forgiveness from God is fundamental. That's how we become Christians. We see ourselves and and what we're doing and and who we are and how we um, navigate life, and we come to this place. Every one of us who who considers themselves a Christian has come to that place in your life where you said. I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness. We all do. I need forgiveness. That's where grace and repentance come uh, become a reality to us. But as much as we need that, it's, it seems that we're more sensitive about what we do when we sin against somebody. Than when somebody sins against us, see we sin, and we we beg for forgiveness, we sin and we want grace, we sin, and we want you know we we repent, amen, we sin against someone, we sin against god there 's that place where we have to repent, and we have to uh, you know we we want that grace, we want that mercy, we want that um, that uh, goodness of of God or goodness of God in some inside somebody else. and so we we want that forgiveness, but it's difficult practicing or expressing forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. I see that you know it's easy for us to talk about forgiveness, especially as Christians. You know, we, we talk about forgiveness, but do we practice for forgiveness? Are we practicing? Is it, is it becoming something that we continue to do in our own lives to give instead of just receive? When somebody's lied to you, when somebody's lied about you, when somebody's taken advantage of you, when you've been cheated on, or you've just been cheated, been stolen from, What do we want? We want justice. <laughs> you owe me. You sinned against me, now you owe me. That's what a lot of people go to. A lot of people, that's their That's their go-to. Their Their go-to is not, you know, I forgive you. Their go-to is, you owe me. You're indebted to me. If you're going to sin against me, if you're going to lie to me, you owe me. Getting awful quiet in this Presbyterian church. (laughs) I think about Jesus on the cross. I mean, he's when he's on this cross, he has been nailed to that cross. He has gone through what we call the passion. He has gone through being beat. He's gone through being having his beard ripped out of his face, being punched, being kicked, being hurt. I mean, you go through that, it'll almost make you sick if when you see the the reality of what Jesus went through the bible doesn't even tell the reality mel gibson years ago in his movie called the passion of the christ tried he tried every way in the world to express what Jesus went through and it was terrible i saw the movie and it's terrible it just make you bawl but he wasn't even able to express what Jesus went through visually but Jesus is on the cross and he's He's there, and 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 one of the, the the scholars call this the seven final words of Jesus. He says, "Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing." Father, forgive them. What is his center focus in saying those words? Forgive, forgive. He's saying, "I'm forgiving them for what they what they've done." But I'm not only forgiving them for what they've done, I'm forgiving them for what they're going to do. Because it wasn't over. It wasn't over. He's up there hanging on that cross and it's not over. And as he said that, what followed after those seven words was that they took his clothes and began to gamble for them right there beneath his nose as he's hanging on the cross. The Bible says that they sneered at him. They mocked him. They, they were disgusted by him. They spit on him. They made fun of him. Then they took what, uh, what the Bible calls, they, they took a sponge. Do you remember that? They took a sponge and they, they dipped it in wine vinegar and they put it on a stick and, and put it to his lips. Remember that? See, I always thought there's, there's one Roman soldier there that's feeling sorry for him. And they're gonna give him a drink. But this is what I found out about what went on right there. That sponge was a part of a Roman soldier's deployment kit. It's what he had basically in his backpack. It's every, every Roman soldier had a kit that they took into battle and a part of that kit was a sponge. And that sponge, when it was dipped in, in, uh, wine vinegar and gall, which the Bible says that's what they lifted to Jesus' mouth, that it was a numbing agent. It was a, it was a antiseptic and a numbing agent. But it wasn't for wounds. It was an antiseptic and a numbing agent and a cleansing agent because when it was, when that sponge was placed on a stick, it was like toilet paper. A Roman soldier would use it to clean himself after he went to the bathroom. So can you imagine what was on that sponge? I mean, wine and, you know, bitter wine, vinegar, and gall is one thing that's on there, but there's other things on there. And they lifted it to him, and they put it, pressed it against his mouth. Now listen, I don't know about you, but for me, that's my line. (laughs) Don't put your dirty toilet paper in my face. That is it. I mean, somebody's going to get fighting. Uh, Good thing I'm not Jesus in that moment. Because the Bible said He could have called 10,000 angels at that moment. He had the power to kill everyone right there. I heard a minister say something years ago that says you can't minister beyond your line of disgust. That sponge, for me, would have been a line. I'm done ministering to these people. I'm coming off this cross and there's going to be 10,000 angels, a legion of angels is going to come with me. And we're going to destroy this world. But you know what would have happened if he would have done that? We wouldn't be sitting here today. But see, Jesus went beyond that, that line. Instead of calling for 10,000 angels to come and destroy this world, Jesus forgave. He had already forgiven. And then when he had already forgiven and all this stuff was still taking place, he said, it is finished. And he died. He took that moment and fulfilled all the consequences and the penalty of all sin in the world. Because he forgave. I, God showed me this years ago. And I, think I, I think I just taught on this when I talked about the restoring humanity a few weeks ago, several weeks ago. That the word forgive, it means to forgive. It means to be generous with our forgiveness. To be generous that if, if you know you're going into confrontation and before you even get there, you've already forgiven, it makes your job so much easier when people are trying to offend you. That's what made Jesus' job on the cross attainable is because He forgave. He forgave. He was generous with His forgiveness even before He got to that moment. He was already generous with that. And that's why that He could take it whenever they listed toilet paper to His face. That's why he didn't get off the cross. That's why we're here is because he was able to take the consequences and the penalty of sin upon himself before, before the, the, the harm was done to him. He was able to be generous with his forgiveness. That's what meekness is. Jesus operated in meekness. You know, in the um, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught in Matthew 6, it says, in the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus operated in meekness at that moment. And He inherited the earth. That's who you are. You are His inheritance. Because He was meek. What does the word meek mean? I heard this years ago that it means strength, harnessed strength. But meekness means that you know you can win, but you choose to lose So that you can bring God into the situation. You know that you can win. He could have called ten thousand angels. He knew he could have won. But it wasn't about winning at that moment. It was about salvation. It was about paying the penalty, paying the cost for sin. And so he was meek. He chose to lose. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to lose. I can't think of anybody that woke up this morning and says, I'm gonna lose the day. No, we wake up and we got we got to be positive about this. We're going to win the day. We're going to win. Today is my day of winning. But Jesus said, "This is the way that I win: is I choose to lose." Jesus knew he could win, but he seemingly lost because he wanted to bring God into the situation. He wanted to bring God into the into the moment. Because the things that Jesus went through in a 24-hour period before he went to the cross and while he was on the cross, the things that he went through in that 24-hour period, most of us won't go through in a lifetime. We may go through little bits and pieces. See, what Jesus went through was macro. What we go through is micro. Micro. We go through, you know, when somebody hurts us, when somebody lies to us, when somebody betrays us, when somebody abuses us, when somebody rejects us, that is just, that is just this little micro piece. But Jesus, when He's on the cross, He took your micro piece and 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 and made it macro to Him and who He was. And that's what brought the fullness of His forgiveness to our lives. It's hard for us to to see that sometimes, especially when the wrongs that have been done to us are stacked. You know, I've been done wrong by this person, and this person, and this person, and this person. It seems like the same rejection over and over. It seems like the same uh, abuse over and over. It seems like the same betrayal over and over and over. And we stack all these little micro moments. But what we gotta understand is Jesus took all this. He, He did, He faced the same things that you face, the same betrayal, the same rejection. He faced those same things, but on a huge level. He took it for all of us. Amen? But when we stack all those wrongs, when we stack all those betrayals, when we stack all those things on ourselves, and and we just think, this continues to happen to me. When we do that, when we stack all those things, that's where bitterness tries to enter into our lives. Bitterness. It enters in and we... When bitterness enters in... We lose focus on forgiveness. We can say that we forgive, but are we really forgiving? No, because the bitterness is keeps reminding us of where we need to forgive. But when when we're a victim, when we are victimized, that's bitterness. Bitterness enters in. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, I'm gonna read this verse from three different translations. The first one's New King James. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 through 15, it says, Pursue peace with all people. Pursue peace with all people. All people. Did you hear me? All people. It's, it's, it's not saying pursue peace with those who are easy to pursue peace through. Only with those. No, he says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. He said, Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. From the message translation, it says this, Work at getting along with each other. Hello. (laughs) Getting along with each other is not just going to come. It's going to take work. (laughs) Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for the weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. Whoa. We, uh, when we moved into our house, we had a beautiful front yard. It was just green as it could be, and I would, you know, in the summertime I would mow my grass. The last few years, we've allowed the weeds to come in, and I've been mowing my weeds and we've lost uh, our, most of our, our total front yard. We've just got a few patches of grass. But it's all weeds. That's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happens when bitterness moves into our life. When we stack those wrongs, we begin to stack those wrongs and they begin to spread in our world. The Passion Translation says this. In every relationship, be swift to peace, swift to choose peace over competition. And run swiftly toward holiness, for those who are not holy will ne- will not see the Lord. Watch over each other and make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. And make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. Bitterness will poison the hearts of those around you. Bitterness is dangerous. We can't allow bitterness to to be a part of our life. We can't allow bitterness to even be a micro moment in our lives. We cannot allow allow the betrayal. We cannot allow the hurt, the anger. We can't allow uh, the rejection. We can't allow being lied to and cheated on. We can't allow those things to sit and fester on the inside of us. Because when they do, all of a sudden they begin to take root. And when they take root, they begin to spread to those around us. I don't like being around bitter people. I mean, I'm working on it myself. I don't need your bitterness. And when when, when your bitterness is, is overwhelming me, I push back. I'm like, no, just, you stay away from me. You go over there. You go on that side of the church. Ouch. Bitterness is dangerous and, and Satan loves to stir it up on the inside of us. He loves it. Because he don't just like, he don't just get to come after you. He gets to use your bitterness to come after other people. And he don't have to do anything. He just sits back and says, all right, let them let him talk. Let them talk. He loves those key moments in our life that mark us. Where forgiveness is beyond our scope. Because when he can stack bitterness to corrupt us, then he can affect everyone around us. Over in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, it says this. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Hello. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. You, if you're around bitter people, that's what comes out. Bitterness comes out. It comes out in corrupt words. People with bitterness cannot hold back what they say. Don't look at your neighbor. <laughs> Cause if you do, I'm, I know what you're thinking. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification or building up that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Did you hear what he said? He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Here's what you got to understand about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, he is so good. He is so good. He can, he can stay in your bitterness. He can remain there. He don't like it, but he can remain there because the Holy Spirit is continually saying, can I help? Can I help? I'm angry. Holy Spirit's going, can I help? I'm hurt. I'm victimized. I've been bullied. I've been cheated on. And the Holy Spirit says, let me help. Let me help in your anger. Let me help in when you're being bullied. Let me help. Let me help. Why? Because He's the helper. That's what, that's what Jesus said. He said, I will send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that is our helper, and He just wants to help. He's not there to rule your life and and try to be, you know, dominating over you. He's there to help us. Can I help? Can I help? And when we don't allow Him to help us, we grieve Him. So the word grieve there. In, in the Greek is the same word that is defined as trauma. He says don't traumatize the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is saying, can I help, can I help, can I help, and we don't let Him help, He is traumatized. It's hard to, it's hard to think that God can be traumatized. It's hard to to think that Holy Spirit can be traumatized but this word this word here says that he can be traumatized he says don't traumatize <laughs> excuse me don't traumatize the Holy Spirit In life things can happen to us that we feel betrayed broken and traumatized You know that don't you yeah, every one of us has felt that, but the Holy Spirit can feel the same way when we don't let Him help us. It's it's like that. It's like that person that keeps making the same stupid decisions. They keep they keep self sabotaging themselves and and taking themselves down because they make this wrong stupid decision every time. And it's not that they're it's not that they're just tripping over a crack and falling into sin, it's that they continue to make that, I've done it, made the same stupid decisions. And, you know, people inherently come to their pastor because it's free counsel, you know. (laughs) But the, the thing about it is, we don't know any better. We just know the Word, you know. I guess that's better. But but we're not trained counselors. The thing about it is, it's like, can I help? Let me help you. I love you. Let me help you. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Let me help you. I love you. Let me help you. And when we say no, or we, our, our decisions define us as saying no, then it hurts the Holy Spirit. It hurts him. Just like we would hurt when we're trying to help somebody and they keep making the same stupid decisions. Please let me help you. Please. All right, let's go on. Ephesians. We're still in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 30 says again, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, hello, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you so many times that I've heard people that's been sinned against legitimately been sinned against been hurt been betrayed I've heard people say that is such a hard thing that they did to me I can't forgive that that's unforgivable how would you like if God said the same thing to you as a matter of fact that's what he's saying if you can't forgive then I can't forgive you God is saying look I I forgave you so forgive them and leave them to me is what God is saying. For, forgive them and leave them to me. Don't, I'll take care of you. If you'll forgive them, I'll take care of you and I'll take care of the betrayal. I'll take care of the wounds. I'll take care of the scars that are being left behind because of that. He says, but you've got to forgive. And when you forgive, leave them to me. I'll take care of them. Amen. When when he says this here, I looked this up, I studied this years ago, and and he says there in verse thirty two, he says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. The one another there does not mean forgiving outward this way to someone who's hurt you. It, bear with me. It does mean that, but first and foremost foremost it means forgiving ourselves. That's what that word, that word literally means first, forgive yourself. You remember in, in uh, Matthew 22, whenever Jesus, the lawyer confronted Jesus, and he says, what is the greatest law, or what is the greatest commandment of God? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And he said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus is saying, look, you cannot love God and you cannot love other people until you love yourself first. To the degree that you love yourself is to the degree that you will love other people. And if you don't love yourself, you're not going to love them. Hello? And if you can't love other people and you can't love yourself, then you really can't love God. That's in first John chapter four. Forgiveness works the same way because forgiveness is a part of the kingdom of God. Amen. Forgiveness is a part of that love that operates in the kingdom of God. If we can't forgive ourselves to the, to the degree that you forgive yourself, it's to the degree that you'll forgive somebody else. And if you can't forgive them, then God can't forgive you. I know it's heavy. I know. I know. Saying, well, okay, I'll can, I'll, I'll work on that forgiveness thing. Yeah, yeah, do. Work on it because it is a process. It is a process. And let me tell you, it gets easier every time. You mean to say that somebody's going to hurt me again? Probably. More than likely. As long as you're breathing, there's always somebody that's going to try to hurt you. And if the devil knows that he can stack those hurts against you, He'll just continue to keep hurting you in that same area. We gotta forgive. Okay, okay, pastor, I forget. I'll, I'll, I'll work on this whole forgiveness thing. Now, I may forgive them, but I'm not gonna forget it. I'll forgive, but I'm not gonna forget. That's a stupid line. If if I forgive, you know. I forgive, but I won't forget. Somebody come up and says, forgive and forget. Bull crap. I'll forgive, but I ain't going to forget. Let me tell you something about that. The devil will make sure that our forgiveness will be canceled out if we don't take the opportunity to forget it. When somebody wrongs you, when somebody hurts you, you'll feel the bitterness rise up if you're not willing to forget it. You say, well, pastor, how do you do that? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that when when God forgave you, He forgot your past. And if God can forget, we can forget. People come in, I'm not bragging on my relationship with my wife. Well, yeah, I am. I'm bragging on it. But her and I, we don't fight. We don't fight. We disagree. We have strong times of disagreements. And they could be taken as fights. But we really don't fight. Because when I have wronged her or she has wronged me, then we forgive. And in the midst of that forgiveness, we forget. I cannot tell you one strong disagreement that we've had. I cannot tell you... What it was about. I don't know about her, but, <laughs> cause she's usually the one that's right. But the fact of the matter, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is that we have to learn to forget. Amen. Amen. Because the devil will take every opportunity against you if you choose not to forget it. Oh, I forgive him. Well, it's going to rise back up in, in the form of bitterness if we don't learn how to forget those things. Rhett, won't you come on up, buddy? In Hebrews chapter eight, verse twelve, it says, For I will be merciful to the unrighteous, and their sin and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. God says, I forget your sin. When you give your life to me and you receive my forgiveness, I forget. Not one time has God ever brought up my past with him and said, oh, you remember that day that you did that? Oh, you remember, you remember back in, in your college days when you did that? The only one that brings it back up is the enemy. And if I submit myself to the enemy, I have put myself in the place of the enemy and I allow him to dictate what my life is going forward. Let me tell you something, the devil cannot. He has, he does not have the ability to dictate your life going forward in a good way. He don't have it. He'll only keep you going backwards. Jesus said no one putting their hand to the plow and looking back can do right, do things the right way. Because when we look back and we've got our hands to the plow, that plow goes all over the place. Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14 says this. It says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended for one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal and the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul says right here, Okay, God said it first. God said, I will not remember your past. But the apostle Paul says, forgetting this one thing that I do, this one thing that I do, forgetting all those things that are behind me. I gotta forget those things. If I'm if I'm hung up on those things, I am hoeing crooked rows. I'm I'm harvesting crooked rows. I'm planting crooked rows. My future has nothing. I've got to forget those things which are behind me and press forward to the higher call. The higher call is what? The higher call is love. The higher call is forgiveness. The higher call is choosing to forgive before somebody even hurts you. And making your mind up that you're going to walk in forgiveness, you're going to walk in for giving and the generosity of giving them grace before they even need it. About it is, is when you're a minister, when you when you choose to answer the call of God on your life, ministry is hard because there are so many people that you have influence with, and when you have people, when you have influence with people or inspire, be in the position to inspire people, you are putting yourself in a place of great hurt. Because as many as you inspire, is as many as can hurt you. Because you're investing in them. And years ago, when Lynette and I decided to answer the call, and we began to enter into ministry, hurt after hurt after hurt after hurt after hurt came in. It was this. This has been the hardest part of ministry, is to is to be able to, uh, especially when you don't have the concept of forgetting. Giving but not forgetting. And those things can stack up on top of you and can become bitterness. And uh, there was, I mean, we hadn't been in the ministry very long, but we've been hurt so many times that it came down to uh, a gentleman that was, that I considered my best friend. He was not only my best friend, he was a pastor. He was a mentor. He spoke into my life, spoke into our lives. And he came to us one time and says, the Lord told me to separate from you. I mean, this was out of the clear blue. Yeah, we had had some issues, but this was out of the clear blue. He says, we got to, the Lord told me to separate from you. And I said, why? He goes, I can't tell you. Lord won't let me tell you. I'm like, that's stupid. That ain't right. And it wasn't right. It wasn't. And I hurt. I cried. I i mean, to the guy's face, I said, whatever it is, I am sorry. I will repent. What, tell me. Tell me what I need to do to get this right. And I cried. I said, you're my you're my best friend. You're my mentor. You're my pastor. What, what did I do? He says, I can't tell you. And up until last year, I mean, I, I would forgive. Anytime somebody like me would preach on this, on forgiveness, his face would pop up in my head. And I would forgive, but I wouldn't forget because I was just waiting on that next hurt, just waiting on that next hurt to give me a reason to, to, to be bitter against him. Last year I had the opportunity, after 20 years, I had the opportunity, my wife and I had the opportunity to sit down with him and his wife. He was oblivious to why we had separated. I'm only telling you this not because I harbor harbor and not forget I do this because God reminded me so that I could give you an example okay but last year I was able to forgive him to his face still don't know why I think he didn't even he didn't even realize why but it not only brought closure to that bitterness that I had it uprooted the bitterness that I had Toward him. Now, now I can text him and say, Hey, just thinking of you, just praying for you. He says, Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. God will restore. When we're when we decide to forgive, watch what God will do. He will restore. He will restore. What is he going to restore? He's going to restore love. Restore love back into your life. Consciously removing bitterness by forgiving brings God's governing force of heaven to earth expressed by love. Forgiveness will unlock and unleash the kingdom of God's love. The, the, the governing rule of heaven, love will be released into your life when you'll forgive. Amen? Love releases righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost to surround us and not grieve the Holy Spirit so I cannot I cannot be done and finished and leave here today without giving you the opportunity to forgive someone So right where you're at right now, would you just close your eyes? Just, just close your eyes for a minute. And as you close your eyes, I want to I want to say this. Is there somebody that's hurt you? Have you been victimized? Have you been, I mean, the, the worst of the worst, I mean, worse than dirty toilet paper being lifted to your face. Has somebody victimized you? Has somebody bullied you? Has somebody cheated on you? Has somebody relied to you, wronged you, betrayed you in any ways? If there is a face that comes up in your, while you have your eyes shut, if there is a face that comes up, you need to forgive them. It's not by chance. God's bringing that to you. Holy Spirit is saying, let me help you with this situation. I just want to help you. I just want to help you. Is there someone that just come to your face? Come come to your mind? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to uproot the the root of bitterness in your life? It's just been it's just left that person just left a bad taste in your mouth. It could be the gall, the vinegar, the sponge that's being lifted to your mouth. Jesus took that. He took that away. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you and I praise you, God. For each and every person that's sitting here today, Father, I pray that if there was a face or a name or a situation that come up, maybe they were hurt by a group, maybe it was a church that really hurt them. Father, I pray that we would all take care of that right now. We would take care of it right now. If you would repeat after me, say, Father God, I give this person to you. I choose to forgive. I uproot the the root of bitterness in my life. Right now, I give it to you, Holy Spirit. choose to forgive anything that would come down the pike to to uh, offend me, I give all offense over to you, and I choose to forgive before offense traps me.